I am a father of six. So my wife and I took seriously that responsibility from Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. Um, we have one grandchild, and that child lives in Texas, so we're excited about that. Um, I love sports, and I am a St. Louis Cardinal fan living in Chicago, like Chicago Cup country. I often remind my Chicago friends, yes, you won the last championship more lately, but we have 11, so. <laughs> and I also wrote a book um, on racism called One Nation Under God, and I'll be doing a book signing later, which is kind of fun to do. I, I like many people, decided to figure out who I was, so I did the um, Ancestry.com thing and found out that my heritage comes from Togo. And so you see lovely pictures there of Togo, and, but I am 3% German, so I can fit in this church body. <laughs> Although my last name is Haney, so it's Irish, so go figure. Um, so I'm going to give you a test before we get into this too deep. I want to kind of know who you are, so we're going to do this with a test. And you have to pick by raising your hand which of these two things you would choose. So are you a cat person? Not many cat people. Or are you a dog person? Okay, that tells me a lot. Then the question is, are you a hot dog or a hamburger person? Hot dog people? Yeah. So you love that little $8 hot dog downstairs, right? <laughs> you didn't know about the hot $8. All right, next question. Are you a mountain person? Or are you a beach person? All the mountain people? All right, all the beach people? Are you a foreign missions person? Or are you a local missions person? All the foreign mission people, raise your hand if you had to pick. Local missions people. Cool. Are you the kind of person that would rather donate money for missions? Or would you the kind of person who wants to go and teach people. So are you active or are you kind of more passive? You're active, you want people to be more, to donate, to raise your hand? Or would you rather be more actively involved in the mission? All right. Are you a football person? Or are you a baseball person? All the football people raise your hand. Baseball people. All right. You said Cubs? Yeah. Yeah, you have to choose. This is this is. <laughs> we didn't ask you what your team was. So, are you our equality person or are you a justice person? Equality people, raise your hand. Justice people, raise your hand. That's an important question because really the heart of this presentation is. Talking about what equality means versus what justice means. And our understanding of how we process that determines exactly how we figure the best way is to reach out to people. When you talk about equality, it's about this definition of the same in measure, amount, and quality for another person. So it's like if everybody has to have the same thing, that's equality. So how do you do that if you're doing outreach to people? or reaching out to people in a community that's maybe depressed, how do you make sure that everything is equal? 
And if, you have to, if that's your mindset, how does that impact how you do outreach in that community? I had the pleasure of serving in the inner city for almost 17 years, and we struggle with this idea of how do we make sure we provide for people in a way that we don't cripple them by providing help for them? Because you can help in such a way that it hurts your, your outreach more than it helps. This idea of justice, though, is making sure that we have an established set of rights that, we're, that are governed by laws to create equality. Now, the problem with justice in our country is, is it truly just for everybody? Does everybody have the same access to justice as everybody else? So you constantly see this, this, this at war in our country between what is justice and what's equality because some people don't have the same access to justice as other people. If you are rich and you get stopped for a drug possession charge, that's a different conversation in the court system if you are poor and stopped for the same offense. So that's the struggle that we have trying to help people. Even this idea of education, growing up in inner city, it's, you may have what you think are equivalent education systems, but those systems do not produce the same results that you would in a different community and other communities. So we have this, this inequality sometimes in our justice. So I want you to kind of, this is interactive, so give me some of your greatest examples you can think of of injustice you've seen in our country. Here's some that I've run across, and you can tell me if you agree. What's happening in our southern border, and depending on what side of that you fall on, I think it's, it's injustice. Because it's, it's we've, we've either, we politicized a crisis. And we have people who are here that we're not either processing or taking care of. And so we've created a much deeper situation that's even a, a deeper crisis than we even had just coming over. And, and, we, and no one really wants to solve the issue of what's happening on the border. This is another one that kind of bugs me. I'm in Chicago. And I'm afraid every Monday morning to read the number of shootings that happened in Chicago. Because we have no one really addressing the systemic issue on our, in our south side of Chicago. And we have kids who are walking to birthday parties and they don't feel safe in their own community. And, and the system is failing that community. I met someone from California and it's interesting because I think what's happening in California with the homeless situation is injustice. Because in California, I think the biggest problem is housing costs so much that a normal person really can't afford housing in, 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 in California. So you're left to go live in tent cities in some of the most beautiful parts of our country. If you, we were walking just around here and you could see probably a homeless population here in Minneapolis too. I ran across a few people I think were probably homeless. So we, we have a situation in our country where there are people who are being left behind by society. And, and that's part of what we talk about with our outreach is how we deal with some of those things. So what is equality? And I want you to tell me a time you think you were treated unfairly. 
and tell me a situation. Who are some people who are being, who you're being seen treated unfairly today? Who are people that you can identify that you look at and you go, they're not being treated fairly or with justice? I remember um, I was flying to Detroit one day, getting back from a conference on immigration. And we were just talking about the, the problem with the Syrians coming into our country and how people weren't welcoming the Syrian and Muslim population. And as I'm getting on the plane, I was pre-boarding, and I, I was in the first five, so I knew I was gonna get my front row seat on, on Southwest. Sitting next to me was a lady with a burqa on. And if you wanna think about people being untreated unfairly, think about getting on a plane with a Muslim in today's culture post 9-11. What's your first thought? And I see, and it's hard, it's, it's, I actually see a lot of mistreatment of Muslims by Christians because of 9-11. And we justify it by going, well, because of 9-11. I had a lady call me on the phone after the article about that, the need to reach out to the population that God's bringing here, and she was angry with me because I said, God is bringing them to our shores for a chance for us to reach out and evangelize them. And she goes, how dare you say that? They should go back and have their own people take care of them. So there are people you could probably think about that you see who are being treated unfairly. And you kind of wonder, why do we allow that to, to happen and not speak out against it? I want to give you a Bible verse and a set of scripture that we're going to look at, because I think Looking at justice from God's eyes is different. And this is one of, this is an assignment we had in a seminary. This was our, my seminary two final exam. We had to write one perfect sermon, and I drew Matthew 28, Matthew 20 with my sermon. I'm like, why? Workers in the vineyard, why would you give me that text? Um, so my sermon theme was what is fair, but here's the text. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarii, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out around the nine in the morning, saw others around the marketplace doing nothing, and said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay whatever is right. And they went. Again, around noon, and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he found some others standing around and said to them, why are you just standing here doing nothing all day long? Because no one has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the manager, call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on to the final ones first. And when those who were hired at the five afternoon came in, they received one denarii. And now those who were hired first, they thought they received more, but also each of them received a denarii. When they received it, they grumbled against the owner and those who were hired last worked an hour had received the same pay as those who worked even harder in the heat of the day, in the, in the day of the heat of hot sun. But he replied to one of them, friend, I have done you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarii? Take what belongs to you and go. And I will give this to the one who has hired the same that I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. What about that parable bothers you? So let's dig a little deeper into this. Is God fair? 
Because that's the heart of this question. That's the way I approached the sermon when I wrote it 20-some years ago. My title was, What's Fair? Because my first call was to Detroit. And I'm thinking if this was a Detroit Union boss, oh my word, they'd be picket signs, they'd walk out, they would, there would just be a union in front of his front office. There's no way he would have got away with this. And so we asked the question, is it the fact that the, all were paid the same wages that bother us? Or is there a deeper internal problem that we think that is somehow God going to treat us unfairly at the end? If I've been a lifelong Christian and I've worked in God's church all this time, don't I get a better cloud or something than the guy who just at the last minute worked for God? Shouldn't I have like a silver crown or something if I worked a certain number of years? If you put up a certain number of tables for God, don't you get like a special something? I mean, I think deep down, we see in this parable ourselves and wonder which of the workers are we. And, and somehow, if we, talk, if we look at the idea of justice and advantage with that same idea of what to do me, or if I do this, enough of these good deeds, shouldn't I somehow warrant something or some attention from God? Because at the end, we're, we're basically Reformed Catholics, right? And we, we like the idea of good works, I think, deep down, that somehow there's reward for that. And this kind of flies in the face of that. So some grumbled with the master because these, you know, we don't feel like this is fair. We deserve more. So here's a lesson in our text. It's not about justice in this text. It's about grace. This is not a text about whether or not God is fair. It's a text about the fact that God is gracious and God is generous. Another key thing about this text is the main spiritual truth in this text is that God brings out is that he has the right to deal with his servants the way he wants to according to their motives for service. So why do you serve? Do you serve with the hope that you get a reward? Do we do outreach because you hope that somehow God rewards for doing outreach or evangelism? I think sometimes that becomes the, the motivating factor in doing evangelism. If I do this, if I reach out to somebody, somehow God will bless me because I was, I was sharing Christ with somebody. But that's our calling. That's our mission. Our mission, our opportunity is to share Christ with people, to be that living example of who Christ is, to, to proclaim to the world what Christ has done. This parable isn't really about salvation, but about service. Because this is, this is a determination of whether you receive salvation or not. It's just how you use the gifts that God has given you. It's about your work in God's kingdom, your serving of God in God and his kingdom. And we don't all serve the same way or with the serve same energy. The other lesson from this is we should not serve God because we want to receive an expected reward. We serve him, we reach out out of a sense of love for God. That's what motivates our evangelism, that's what motivates our work in the church. We're responding back to God's love for us, and that's why we do it.
So we shouldn't insist on knowing what we will get from our service because God determines what that is. And we also need to realize that from this text that God is infinitely generous and gracious and will always give us better than we deserve. One of my favorite phrases from a guy who taught me was, when I asked him, how is he doing? He would always say, better than I deserve. Because God has richly blessed me way beyond what I deserve. And I am living every day in his grace. So Christ summoned us to labor for him, to work for him. And the sad thing is it's too bad that as Christians we sometimes like to stand idly by when there's so much work to do. What did Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful, but what? The workers are few. So pray that God sends out more workers for the harvest because the harvest is ripe in your community. There are people in your community now who are looking for someone to show them God's love. To be the hands and feet of Jesus for them. And this parable really talks about how we do this out of Christ's love for us and out of loyalty for him and not for rewards. We do this because we love Christ and we're responding to that love in our outreach. Now, you've heard the term social justice, I'm sure. And what does that term usually mean for you? Is it about equality or is it about justice? It's about justice. That term actually goes back to 1840, and it's a Catholic term. And it has nothing to do with the things that has been hijacked within definitions today, but it really goes back to it's the capacity to recognize, to organize with others to accomplish ends that benefit the whole community. It's what the church was supposed to do before government took over and did all the work that the church was doing or tried to do, and they do it more expensively than we could do it. But the goal of social justice is for us to organize as a people of God to accomplish ends that benefit the entire community. Now, you listed some things that you noticed in your communities that were bothering you, that weren't signs of justice. Imagine having congregations and Christians organizing in their neighborhoods and in their cities ways to address the needs of their community. How would that look? We'd have to forget about our worship styles the things we don't like sometimes. We have to forget about the fact that we don't know our, our, our neighbors and other churches. I think that's one thing we discovered in our own district, that our families, our church families, don't gather together anymore. We used to have the Lutheran Layman's League that would get together, and the men would all do something, and elder male would get together and do things together, but we don't have that sense of community anymore. So how have we replaced that community? How we get together as the churches in our circuits and say, how can we do something positive for our community? If we understood social justice and this idea, this concept, back to its original meaning, imagine what our circuit meetings look like. And we're talking about how can we serve the common good of our community. There's more. I love this quote, the greatest good for the greatest number. Imagine that being our marching orders as a church. 
How can we do the greatest good for the greatest number? Because, see, people aren't going to come to your church because of your worship. They're going to come to your church because of your impact in their life. They're not moved by services anymore. They're moved by your service. They want to know that you care. They want to see you involved in their community. What's going to be our greatest outreach tool, our greatest proclamation of the gospel, is the way that we care for those people in our community who are in need. How do we do the greatest good for the greatest number and watch the greatest impact for God's kingdom? It's about how many lives can we change and how many lives can we transform by us being Christ in the community. If you saw a school with low test scores and the community came around and said, we're going to start a tutoring program to help these kids who are at risk, and in five years, the test scores turned around. And, and they directly attributed that to the work of the church getting involved in the school. Imagine the impact that will have in that community. We had that happen in one of our church schools where they um, took it upon themselves to give grants to low-income families. And at the graduation, one of the moms came there in tears, thanking the school, said, because you saved my daughter's life. My daughter was failing. She was at risk. She had no possibility of a future. She's now going to go to high school. She's going to go as a, as a valedictorian because you invested time in her and lifted her up to a level she never imagined in herself. And now there's no stopping her where she could go in her future now. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house as the mother told that story at the graduation. Because, and imagine not having one of those stories, but having 30, 40, 50 of those stories in a school. Where you have said, for us, the greatest good for the greatest number. And she will forever remember how impactful that church was in her daughter's life. That's the potential when we understand what we can do in people's life if we allow God to use us. Here's a little bit more. Um, the common good idea was typically in relation to whoever was the smartest one in the room had the most impact on determining what common good was. So in, Arist in ancient society, it was the wisest, strongest person, the ruler, who made all the important decisions. Where is the camp going to be held? Where are we going to build the city? So if you are people who understand social justice, my question for you is, you're in charge. You have the ability to improve your community, to transform lives. In your own communities, what are you going to change? What's the greatest need in your communities that you see that you want to change? I discovered as I was doing diversity training, um, one, one critical information I ran across, I was working with a school that had mostly a um, white population, and they were, um, all their clients were mostly African American. And they said to me is that we really can't change the culture. And I said, but you're the ones teaching. You're the ones in charge. You're the ones using the curriculum. You're the ones picking the curriculum. You have tremendous impact on what's taught. 
and how it's taught and how it's delivered. You can either embrace that community and that culture, or you can try and eliminate that culture and change it to the culture you want it to be. As, as people who are in community, we have a lot of influence if we realize that we have connection with people who are in charge, and some people actually listen to us, and we have connections that we can really make a difference by, like you said, finding out what is the need and how do we address that need from what people tell us is most important in our life. But it's about listening and also then acting on what God tells us and leads us in. Here's another thought. Here's my challenge for you. How will you use your God-given gifts to make the world better? God gifted you, and he empowered you, and he gave you a personal mission in the world. What is your mission? And how will you use the mission that God gave you to change the world? And, and how will you start that journey in the next six months? How can you have the greatest impact on someone's life in the next six months? Who's that person that God's placed on your heart for you to connect with that will give the greatest impact for God and his kingdom? And when you do that, if you would do me a favor, just tell me who that person, how that's working. Not mean the whole details, but just give me an idea of how that worked. Because I'm curious how God will use you and the impact that you will have in the world. I love this quote by Woodrow Wilson. He says, you are not merely, you're not here merely to make a living. You're in here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world and you impoverish yourself if you forget the errand. You were here with a mission to make the world better. And you have the right foundation because you are believers in Christ and you have the power of Christ behind you. How will you make the world better? Pointing people to a, to a greater person outside themselves and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How will you impact the world? And I want to end with this video and give some time for some type of discussion because here's how one church in Baton Rouge really did take that idea of making a difference and change their community. Well, Healing Place started in 1993 just with a handful of people. Uh, we didn't have a lot of ideas. We had one thought. We wanted to be a healing place for a hurting world. And we just really felt that in our heart that we wanted to reach people that were hurting, reach people that had maybe fallen through the cracks. I think we're living in a generation today where people want to see it before they believe it. I think so often uh, we've preached things and we've, we've hollered things and we've yelled things. And we have a next generation that says, uh, I don't buy into those principles. I don't believe those principles. They want to see it. And so we want to make sure that as pastors and myself uh, and, and our, our leadership team, that we're ready to roll up our sleeves and get dirty. Just sitting in a meeting one day discussing what we were in a revolution that we wanted to see happen in our church and in our community. We said, that's exactly it. It's a servolution that we want to see happen. We really feel like we want to change the world through serving and uh, not an event-based, program-based 
but then just on a regular basis in their home, uh, in their neighborhoods, at their workplace. We want to let people that come here know God has blessed you with resources. He's blessed you with talents. We're going to be held responsible if we don't use those to serve the poor, the lost, and the hurting. We're real intentional about talking about that. When I got to Healing Place Church with the service and concept, with the with the concept that the pastors give us, the, the leadership that we have, it, it gives you the opportunity to, to go and do what which in which really is in every believer's heart to do, and that's to serve. Well, we wanted to create a website through Servolution that that became kind of a hub. It's a place for an idea exchange. You know, some of the best ideas I've heard about serving have come from other churches and friends. We do a, a midnight outreach to some of the, the clubs that are, that are in a tough area of our community. Uh, we go into uh, uh, the strip clubs. Uh, our, our girls go into there and let them know that there are people here that want to do everything they can to see them valued and come to Christ. Constantly looking for ways that we can uh, partner up with other great agencies in our community. How can we partner with the school system? How do we partner with our district attorney? We've gone to our mayor so often and said, what is your list that you need? And he gives it to us. We're constantly uh, looking for ways that we can feed people. The homeless breakfast started um, several years ago. A couple nights a week, they would just go downtown. They would bring some food, some blankets, and just kind of hang out. And one of the guys who had been coming from that, he gave his life to God. Then people started coming down to the river, red shirts on like this. I didn't know what to think of they're persistent. They didn't even come down when it wasn't even a uh, breakfast day. People used to come down there all the time getting me stuff since I did that. I feel that it's time for me to start giving back. The community has been responding. It has been overwhelming. I mean, they come out every week. They actually look forward to us being here. Thank you for coming out here to help people. And everybody in, in the world need help. And I, I wish you come back again. We could not do what we do, uh, and, and I don't. If it wasn't for the hearts of people that champion these calls for the poor, you can't reach the poor without people that have a heart for the poor. You can't bring healing to the sick if it wasn't for people and hearts that are after Christ. And so, hopefully, as a pastor and uh, as a fellow servant, we want them to know how valuable they are. We want them to feel healthy. We want to sow into their life. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story inspires us. Go and do likewise. Go do this and you will live and have peace. That's a servolution. He said, they gave to me. Now I got to feel like I got to give back. And it wasn't because he went to church there. But he saw in the people who came down to help him, he saw Jesus in them. And he couldn't figure out why they cared. And I'm sure by people asking the question, why are you here when you don't have to be here? Why are you coming to take care of us? Why do you even care about how our situation? You get a chance to say, the love of Christ compels me. I'm here because I've been blessed, and I want to give that blessing of my, of my Lord and Savior to you, and I want to see you be blessed by his death and resurrection in your life. Sometimes our first entry into people's life is our service to them, our caring for them, our understanding of social justice for them, that it really is about helping the most people and having the greatest impact by our service. 